What's going on, everybody? It's the One More Jump podcast. We have an awesome, awesome guest that I personally have wanted to sit down and talk with for a really long time, ever since I saw him win the U.S. National Championship in 2006. It was either in Carson, California or in Indianapolis, but uh, Russ Buller had an awesome day that day, jumped 580, and me and my brothers got to watch that happen from the stands. And it was really, really cool talking with him today because I got a lot of context into that jump in particular, the struggles that he went through uh, to get to that spot that I had no idea about. And that's what's so cool, I think, about having the ability to sit down with somebody for a long form podcast and learn new things about situations that you thought you knew about, but I really had no idea. Very, very fun guy to talk to. One of the most fit human beings uh, in pole vaulting world, for sure. It's the Bowflex man. I had to put that in there. But yeah, so he is our guest today. He's a two-time, or he's in 2000, I think in 2000, he won the indoor and outdoor NCAAs. He's a national champion, U.S. national champion in 2006 with five meters 80. Um, and he's just so much fun to talk to. He's working out of IMG Academy down in Florida right now, coaching kids, getting back into the pole vault. Uh, but he has just an interesting path through this whole thing, uh, through you know, being married to an elite pole vaulter and, and, um, having two little girls now, one of them possibly wanted to pole vault. And he's just, he just was a lot of fun to talk to. And, uh, one of my bucket list guests, the star, one of the stars of Neo vault, um, Russ Buller. Hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. I don't know about that, man. I've seen your Instagram page. Dude's still rocked out, man. Um, So anyway, so, I mean, I guess we could just, you know, hop in and and we can get started. And uh, I don't know much about your background as far as where you grew up and how you got involved with the sport and things like that. So I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I'm from from a small town called Westlake, Louisiana. I'm just in the southwest portion of the state, about two hours from Houston. One high school, one middle school. Uh, my dad was a carpenter. My mom was a nurse, but um, I played all sports all of my life. It was, you know, our generation, it was, you didn't specialize, right? You played everything. So my freshman year in high school, my offensive coordinator said, hey, we have to go out for track. It was the springtime. And I was just coming off a of basketball season and I was getting into baseball. And I said, what am I going to do? So I got home and I had a friend of mine staying at my house that night. And my dad says, well, why don't you pole vault? And I remember looking through my father's yearbooks and he was about a 15 foot pole vaulter back in the seventies. Jeez. And, and I said, pole vault. I said, I can do it. He goes, ah, oh, you can't do it. And it's kind of like a dare. And he gave us a broomstick. I'll never forget this. I, I remember it vividly. And he says, you hold it like this. So then me and my buddy went out the next day for track and we told our coach said, Hey, we're going to do pole vault. He goes, that's fine. You got to do something. And it's kind of how I got started, man. And it wasn't pretty, you know, I, I only vaulted like, I think four meets that year. And I got hurt because I planted off to the side, missed the mat, landed right on my butt and was out. 
So I only jumped for like four or five weeks my freshman year and that was it. But I got the bug, man. So that's kind of where it all started. Then it evolved after that, just getting, you know, getting addicted to the to the event, the challenges and uh, everything that comes with it, you know. So that's that's how I got started. Right, right. And so in high school, did you I, and I'm just unfamiliar, I'm more familiar with like your your post your collegiate yeah. post collegiate success. So in high school, did you come out of high school having like a a pretty successful high school career or yeah it was crazy i jumped 10 six that first month of pole vaulting and i was like man this is a challenging sport and i was i was a decent um baseball player too so i i had some skills when it came to hitting and running and all that and um and then that summer i got a flyer in the mail from don hood's pole vault camps and he was hosting one in houston which was two hours away and I don't come, you know, my parents didn't have anything back then. So I told my dad, I said, I want to go to this pole vault camp. He says, well, you got to work and raise the money to do it. I said, okay. I actually went around all the companies in my town, like the banks, the grocery stores. And I sat with each manager and I told them, I showed them the flyer. And I said, this is what I want to do. Do you mind like helping me out? And they, they gave me some money, like, and they, they paid for me to go to my first pole vault camp. And I worked that summer with my father doing construction. And my grandfather took me to Humble High, I'll never forget, in Houston, Texas, spent three days at Don Hood's pole vault camp. Uh, and, you know, I, I listened to some of your other podcasts, too, and I know your father. That was kind of like his back in the day, you know, watching Billy Olson and all those guys. So that's kind of where I started and watching those videotapes. You probably watched the same Don Hood videotapes. Oh, I did. yeah. <laughs> and um, I got hooked on it that weekend, met, you know, his sons that were helping with the pole vault camp. And. I excelled. I, I forget what I jumped out of that camp, but I was like, I'm going to do this. And um, it kind of went from there. But then I got back into football and stuff in the fall. And then the springtime, my sophomore year came and I was I started watching those videotapes again. And I really started getting back into it, mimicking drills, mimicking vultures, you know, watching Jan Johnson, watching Billy Olson, watching, you know, Britt Pursley, all, all those guys. And obviously, Bupkin, the Europeans. And I jumped 13-1 my sophomore year. I think at the time it was one of the top jumps in the state. That's how far back we were gone to, you know. Yeah, right, right. And, and I missed state, but my teammate made it out of regionals. And I was like, and I remember all my friends saying, you didn't make it, man. You're, you're no good, whatever. And I said, you know what, I'm going to get good at this. And so that's when I really started focusing. And I was maturing as, as a young man. Um, and then the next year I jumped 15-6. Uh, missed some 16 foot jumps and and then I started getting all the college letters and stuff in the mail you know before recruiting is today mm -hmm. he started getting phone calls and I'm like god I didn't I didn't realize I could go to college to do this I won state championships that year um you, won, year, you won the state championship I won the state championships my junior year jump 15 okay. 6 class 3a but I think that was the highest in the state at the time uh, we had some, we had some decent vultures, a lot of 15 footers, uh, 16 footers at the time in the state. And then my senior year is when I really excelled. I, I ended up jumping, uh, I won state indoors. I went up to Boston and jumped at the national scholastics. I, I had the indoor state record at pre Mondo. Okay. Let's just talk this. <laughs> <laughs> I had the indoor state record at 16, I think six and three quarters. I, I wow. believe it was. Yeah. And then I went up to Boston the next week. My aunt, my uncle flew me up there and um, I won National Scholastics at 16.8. And that's kind of where my college recruiting really started going off. I started getting more phone calls and I knew this was serious. 
And then I had a friend of mine who brought me to the Texas relays uh, in April and I won that against all the Texas guys. And I was, I was pretty pumped about that because um, that was the last year they had the pole vault on top of a building outside the stadium. So the winds were pretty gnarly. Yeah. And uh, it was me like Jacob Davis, Jim Davis, and these are 17 foot vaulters, you know, and um, I went and won and I'll never forget the LSU head coach came up to me. And I was like, ah, man, that's, that's like my home school. That's it. That's the first time they talked to me. And then I think two weeks later, I jumped 17 feet. Um, and then it kind of went on from there, you know? And so that's, and then all the recruiting happened and then I ended up, you know, going to college and that's kind of where it started in high school. And I didn't, I didn't jump a whole lot in high school. It's weird how it is now, like what you guys are doing with your club. My dad mentioned it to me the other day. He says, man, if you would have had that kind of setup." And, on. and he's right. What you guys have done to the sport now. And I see it now coaching back in track and field now, like the talent levels there, but these kids skill levels are way beyond where I was in my generation of pole vaulters were, you know, we, there was a handful of us that could pole vault. Mostly it was based on athletic skill, but now the, these young athletes, they can pole vault. I mean, you can tell who's been coached well and who hasn't. Yeah, that's 100% true. And the, and what I always say, like the foundation of what we did at rise was we were like, okay, I was a, I was a decent athlete, you know, decently fast, tall, decently strong. Um, but what really separated me and, and my brother's ability to, to, you know, have some success was access. We just had access like, and, and my, my dad was a coach at North central college and it was like, okay, in the fall, Hey, I'm going to pick you up. You know, we're going to drive over to North central and we're going to vault and the rest of the States like, well, we don't get to do that, you know, like, and so, so I, I, we worked really hard, but I think just having been provided the access to, to proper equipment and facilities, I think that played a gigantic role. If we needed a pole vaulting pole, my dad would just drive it home, you know? And so, so I think that that is a huge thing because there are, I mean, the next world record holders somewhere in the United States right now, but it, if they're not provided with the proper facilities and proper tools to get the job done, it's just not going to happen. And I think that that is where like that the whole this this club scene is going to be huge is just providing these great athletes with the opportunity like you coming out of high school you were i mean obviously i think you're known for just your foot speed like you just really really fast you know but could you imagine if you were jumping year round you know who knows what could have happened well, you know. and having a quality coaching too. It's basically and my quality life. coaching. Yes, yeah, yes. I, and that's that's what I see today. And you know, there was a when I retired in two thousand eight. There was a lot of times where I was kicking myself in the butt, saying, oh, "Why did you retire?" Because we had a lull in the pole vault. But you know, the last few years, I mean, it's gone up. And I, I I give you guys, you know, everyone that's involved in the pole vault scene a lot of credit for that because it has grown. I th I thought it was dying, and I was wrong. It, mm -hmm. it has grown the last few years, and I think it's going to keep growing. Um, because, you know, parents are actually investing in their children now at all these club sports. You know, I saw it in baseball and now I'm seeing it in pole vault. And I think it's great what you guys have done. I took my vaulters to Sean Young's place in Florida a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. 
I was like, man, he has a whole setup out there. You know, you can put poles up. We we had a girl break a pole. He goes, here, I have a pole right here. You know, and I was like, I was like, this is the way to do it though, because it provides everyone, you know, what they need exactly what you said to to become their best. And you know, it, everyone wants to be obviously the best ever, but it's about reaching your full potential, right? Mm-hmm. And um, to be able to be, be provided with the stuff that which you guys are doing you're reaching out to a lot of athletes that are going to reach their full potential. And that's all you can ask for as a coach, as a parent, you know, not everyone's right. going to be a 19 foot vaulter, but if they reach their full potential and they're a 16 foot vaulter and they get to go to college and compete and be part of a team. I mean, that's what it's all about. You know, that's what sports is about us grooming young men and women for their lives ahead. And I think that's, you know, I, I researched what you guys have been doing the last couple of weeks since we connected. And I, I think it's great, man. I, I, I think the Appreciate setup it. that you guys have and what a few other people have throughout the country is, a, is great. And it's going to continue to grow. I think so too. And, and I, uh, I was actually just on the phone with our, uh, economic development coordinator in our village. And because we were, we're, we've, been in contact with them since the beginning of this whole thing, it was extremely hard for me to get the space that we have to, to, you know, I had to present in front of the board and, and rezone the building and like do a whole bunch of crazy stuff that I was like, I never would have thought I had to do this to get a runway, one runway in a little, (laughs) you know, tiny warehouse space. But, um, I was talking with her and she was like, well, we want you guys to, you know, add in other, like the community wants more sports at your place. Like they want, you know, maybe you can get it bigger and we can add more sports. And I was like, you know what, to be honest with you, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not interested in that because the reality is, is that if you want to play baseball, have your pick. You got a million options. You want to play soccer? You got a million options. But what about my community? What about my community of pole vaulters? What do we have? We don't got very much, you know, like, why don't we have a place for us? And we don't want to share it with, with another sport. We want to be dedicated to the pursuit of pole vaulting. And, uh, and we, we just had that discussion and, and it's just, uh, it's nice that kids, have a home now. Like, it's like, Oh, okay. I'm not completely like once my high school ends, my high school season ends, uh, I'm not just like kicked to the curb. Like I have another option now. And I think that that is just, uh, what we've seen is just a really incredible movement in the pole vaulting community in our area. And it's, uh, and it's us. And like you said, it's other clubs and there's other people doing incredible things. So speaking of, what are you doing down at uh, IMG? Well, it, it, it's crazy. My, I've, I've had a whirlwind, man. Um, you know, I'll preface that by saying that we retired in 2008. Um, at the trials, you know, I got the dread at fourth place. I pulled my hamstring jumping at 18, six and a half. And I was just speaking to my wife, Dana, the other day about it. I said, can you believe I said, I totally forgot. Like Jeff made 18 feet on his last attempt. I said, if Jeff misses that height, like I'm on the team, no matter if I get hurt or not, because I jumped 18, four and a half. And then I, my first jump at 18, six and a half, I pulled up and I had to pull out and I had to watch Brad jump, Derek and Jeff pass me up. And I was like, ah, so it was dreaded. And it kind of, I knew leading up to that, that that was probably going to be my last meet. I just couldn't train at the level I was training at. And mm-hmm. my wife and I had other aspirations. She wanted to go to medical school. I, we wanted a family and 
Um, so after that meet, I knew it was over. And so we actually, we moved down to the Cayman Islands. I was, okay. a, rescue, I was a rescue scuba diver for about a year and a half, two years. And that helped me kind of make a transition out of pole vault because I still love pole vault. I was like, what am I going to do? Even though I had my degree and I just didn't want to go back into coaching right away, track and field coaching. I was just burnt out and I needed to step away from the sport. And then, as I mentioned, I played baseball a lot growing up um, throughout the years. And I made some connections through the, the strength conditioning world, going through LSU and living at the Olympic Training Center out in San Diego. And I got a random email saying, hey, we have a spot with the San Diego Padres. Would you be willing? Can you be here today to be a strength conditioning coach? I said, absolutely. I'll be there. <laughs> and so a couple of days later, I, I packed my stuff up and I moved back to San Diego and I was a strength conditioning coach for the Padres. Got to do that for a little bit and then got an offer to move to New Orleans at Tulane University to be a strength conditioning coach for football and baseball there. Um, so I, I moved back to New Orleans and I did that for a few years. And then I ended up getting promoted to an assistant athletic director position there. So I was in charge of all the medical, all the nutrition, all the sports performance, all the mental health, all that for all the athletes. So it was a big job, but I, I loved it because I was in charge and I knew I was doing right for everyone. I was, you know, um, my AD was very supportive, gave me a big budget to work with, basically an unlimited budget to feed the athletes good food. Wow. Um, throughout campus. And I can go on a bigger spill about all that, how, how it just evolved. And then my wife was going to medical school there. Um, she ended up staying doing residency there. And we had our two daughters in New Orleans. And then after eight years, she she accepted a job and a fellowship at Yale. So we moved to Connecticut for about 10 months. She finished that and we moved back to California to the beach, great area. And I worked as a uh, limited sports agent um, with, I don't know if you know Major League Baseball that well, but Scott Boris is one of the leading baseball agents. Okay. Out there. So I worked with him as a limited agent. Um, what I did was in the off season, a lot of our clients would come out to Orange County and we would make sure they were staying in shape getting healthy. Um, I already had the connections with all the major league baseball strength conditioning coaches. So I'll go to the games, talk to them if we had any issues. I did that, but it was a lot of hours, man. I mean, I was at the field 60, 60 hour weeks. Wow. Um, and then I was doing some other things on the side and then COVID hit. And so I had to step away from that job, take care of my girls because they weren't going to school. My wife was working. She's a dermatologist now. So she was working there. She only got sent home, I think, for a couple of weeks. And then um, I got a phone call from Mark Napier, who used to be like a, a coach at Wisconsin and Oklahoma, but he's been at IMG as the head director here at IMG for track and field. And we go way back from the days when I was at LSU. And he says, hey, man, I, I have a camper here. And I called him RB Jr. And the kid kid says, what do you mean, RB Jr.? Because this kid was from Louisiana. And he said he was fast, man. He was running and he's a pole vaulter and he's good. And he, and he goes, why are you calling me that? And he says, you know, RBJ, Russ Buller Jr. He goes, oh, I know Russ. My mom went to school with him. And Mark, the director's like, what? And he goes, yeah, my mom, my mom went to school with Russ. And he goes, oh, you got to be kidding me. So he calls me that to, to say that to me. And I'm like, man. And we, so we reconnected. And he says, hey, I'm looking for a vault coach. I said, it's crazy you say that. I said, because we're locked down here. I said, I'm going crazy. 
I would love to get back in the pole vault scene. Uh-huh. Florida is great. It's open. You know, I, I could be closer to home. It's a warm weather state. And I was saying it jokingly, but it kind of evolved to quickly happening. Right. So I, I told Dana, I was like, hey, I said, I got this opportunity to get back in the coaching track. She was really in. She says, let's do it. So <laughs> we, made here, man. we made the move here in October and I hit the ground running right when I got here and started coaching IMG and really didn't think I would like it as much as I have. But it's it's great to reconnect to the pole vault world. Like doing this thing with you today, it's it, it's really um, fulfilling to give back and to be back into it. And yeah, second nature, you know, I don't, I don't really have to think when I'm coaching out there because things just click. When I was in the professional world or the college world coaching all these other sports, I really had to think, research and uh, work longer hours. And but I, I can tell you this much, being reconnected with my passion is, has been awesome. And, and it's only been a few months. So that's that's how it kind of came came about, man. And I think it just happened naturally. All, my wife always says this whole move has been a seamless transition. I mean, everything happened so quickly, but so easy. That's no awesome. hiccups at all. And um, and we're doing it. And, you know, IMG is great. I mean, they're, they're growing. They're building a new track facility right now. We're, we're pouring. We're going to have four different pits, four different directions. Jeez. Uh, Mark, <laughs> Mark is awesome, the director. He's a very supportive pole vault coach. He coached like Paul I at UNI, um, Darren Niedermeyer, all these guys. Yeah, so, I, I was going to say, I remember I remember that name. And I'm sure we've probably crossed paths before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, it sounds like pretty supportive for, so you said four runways and four pits. So we're going to have, we're going to have a North and South runway. It's going to have a double pit. Okay. And then we're going to have two pits running East and West on the D area at a certain angle. We, this year we only had one pit and it, I, I swear the winds here, <laughs> I would have to change the pit two, three times a week minimum. Yeah. So just buy another one. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, pole selection, all that, he he supports it, man. And, you know, this day and age, it's hard to find a head coach at any level to support the pole vault because he is fence. And for him to support it, I mean, it's great. And it's like a dream come true because all I do is coach pole vault. I mean, that's, I, awesome. that's it. And, you know, I had I had all of my athletes PR this this spring. Uh, you know, I got one going to Utah, one going to Penn. Um one going to Wisconsin, a couple of decathletes going to different places. So it's been really good to see them excel with just some type of coaching. That's, uh, that's awesome. So what, what is, what is it? I, I don't, I don't know what it is for for sports and it is, it blows almost any university's facilities out of the water. I, I am amazed. Every time I drive up to it, I'm like, I go through the gate and I'm like, God, geez, if I, it's, it's another thing. If we had something like this coming up, right. I mean, because not only you have elite level coaching, and if you look at our roster coaches, I mean, we have Olympic gold medalist Dwight Thomas as our sprint coach. He, we have a guy that just ran 10.08, 10.06 as an 18-year-old, ran 20.2. I mean, we have I – mean, yeah. It, it's So we got Dwight Thomas. We, you know, our distance crew is good. We got JC, who is a big international coach, brings all these international teams, and, you know, we're growing – uh, but you have the track and field staff, which is highly knowledgeable about track and field, all the events. Mm. And then you have the sports performance staff, one of our four weight rooms that are all high level D1 professional strength conditioning coaches. Then you have our nutrition staff Then you have Gatorade on campus. You have all the mental coaches on campus, all the medical staff. 
and then you have the academic stuff, the academic center and the dining hall and all the food. It's just like being in a college. So these athletes make an easy transition when they leave high school, mm. go to the college level. I mean, they are hitting the ground running when they get go from their senior year in high school to their freshman year in college, no matter where they go. I mean, if it's yeah. an Ivy League or if it's a high D1 athletic school, you know, they're going to be prepared. So, so so they can start like what sort of can they start as like a freshman or in high school we have, or? We have middle schoolers there like in tennis and golf and all these other I think I have an eighth grade pole Walter coming in next semester and I'm fairly new at it so I don't know exactly all the parameters of the enrollment process and things like that but mm-hmm. it, it's pretty amazing man but it's it's a boarding school but but if you if they can live off site as well and they can commute to campus daily. So it's a pretty good setup. So do you have like, do you have a lot of kids? Is it majority of kids that are from Florida or do they do a lot of them actually like leave out of state and, and come down there? I think for the most part, most of them are out of state. And oh, wow. Like COVID, all these states that shut down. And we had numerous kids from like the Northeast or out West that came down and they're staying because they fell in love with the place and they seen the success they have. Um, and I didn't know much about it coming in. And then I, I'm pretty impressed with the academic side of things too, because we send a lot of kids to upper level Ivy league schools and, and all the big D one schools and things like that. So it's, right. it's, it has to be successful for these kids to be scoring high enough to get into these schools that everyone all over the world are trying to get into. Yeah. That's so, interesting. So I guess that it kind of comes full circle to what we were talking about earlier about how it's like, man, whenever you were coming up, it was like, I just, you know, everybody's playing every sport and and all of these things. And now it's like almost come like full circle to where it's like, okay, we have a school that you can focus on this sport and, and you can go here, you can eat, you know, have perfect food provided for you, perfect training and all of these things. So I guess my question would be like, do you ever, does anybody ever get afraid of like burning out or like, do you ever, are there any like mitigation measures that you guys take to be like, okay, like you're in eighth grade. We need to make sure that, you know, you're doing all your work, but we we need to make sure that you're maintaining your level of, of fun and love for the sport and things like that. Yeah. They go through a full schedule. You know, I, our track and field athletes get up early. They go to breakfast, they go to class all day. And then they have, they have a lunch break. And then I think they do one more class after that. And then they're off. Our practice time is usually around two o'clock. They'll come out to practice and work with us for a couple of hours. And I, I like to give the vaulters a little time off before they transition to the weight room. They go to the weight room three days a week. Um, and then they leave the weight room. They have about an hour or so to go back to their room and rest and change and then they go to dinner and then they go to study hall and it's kind of this it's again it's kind of like a a a pre-university level training facility that's Uh, wild that's 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 pretty cool though because i could definitely see how like for for me whenever i went from high school to college like i went from illinois uh to down to university of alabama Mm -hmm. and for me it was just like a huge culture shock. And like, I was not going to class. I wasn't, you know, I was doing, you know, all the things that you don't want to do and it exploded, you know, up in my face. And then I was like, all right, I got to hightail it back up North (laughs) to save my life, you know, like, and, uh, I could see how it would be nice 
to have a smoother transition, you know, into that, because I, I, there's actually athletes that we work with that, that go away and they go away to school and then they'll reach back out and they'll say, ah, coach, man, like I'm not doing well. Like, I, I don't know what's going on here. And I always tell them, like, if you can just jump what you jumped your senior year in high school, your freshman year in college, Yes. You're doing pretty well, man. Like, because it's such a huge transition. Um, but could you imagine if that transition's smoother and you can have that, you know, freshman year to actually progress and get better? And it's like that freshman year is almost for some people, is just like a wash. It's just like, okay, this is just a transition year, and hopefully my sophomore year I get better. You know, I did the same thing. I was only two hours away from home and I went to LSU and I did horrible my first semester. Yeah, and I remember the head coach calls me in the office, Coach Henry, and he says, "Hey, if you don't get your act together, you're gonna be gone. There's nothing I can do." And I'm like, "Oh!" And then I buckled down, and I think my my GPA was so bad, I'm so embarrassed to even say, but I had like a 1.2 my first semester because I, I <laughs> and I was I was 100 pole vault. I'm like, I don't care about class. I'm pole vaulting. Yeah. And then the next right. semester, I made the dean's list, made like a three six, and that was kind of like my maturity level started kicking in and and then um i started focusing and then my pole vault kind of went out went off after that so but what we do have at img is a lot of mental coaches which helps that's nice and they're, and they're i have connected so well with our uh sports uh psychologists there they come out the pole vault practice every day believe it or not so for me it's great because they're they're helping me if i have a kid running through not planning i don't have to deal with this so much because i'm not so good at that because i didn't run through at all Right. And I'm like, oh, what do I tell them? But they take them to the side and they go through all this mental coaching and they come back and they plant the pole. And I'm like, I don't know what you did. Awesome. Just keep coming out. And they come out every vault practice. I have two out there sometimes. So it's Whoa. great. So the burnout, you know, and like we're pretty smart as a coaching staff not to, you know, because they still are high school level kids. So you can't train them even at a college level yet. So mm-hmm. we're pretty good about, you know, not being too invasive with their training right now. And I would think, I would think that you guys, you know, with the level of knowledge that is at IMG that you're talking about, it would really surprise me if they buried a kid, you know, like if they just completely buried them in training and like got them injured and things like that, that's, uh, you know, if you have people who really understand what they're doing, uh, it's, they know that how to keep a kid motivated and things like that. Whenever people come and they, especially whenever young girls transition from gymnastics to jumping at rise, their parents are like, hold on. It's, it's two hours a week, like two one hour classes. And I'm like, yeah, it's a two hours, you know, one hour here and then a day off and then another hour of jumping and like, well, how are they going to get better? And I'm like, well, it's, it's quality, quality work for two hours, like two hours of quality work can really, really benefit someone, but they're coming off of 25 hour weeks in gymnastics. And they're like, how, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. And it's just so funny because, um, you know, the higher and more elite you get, and probably similar to what you dealt with after, um, college was, you know, you, you really become more quality focused in your workouts than quantity. And you don't have to do as much as what 
people used to think you had to do in order to be really good and have good workouts, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy though. Those, some of the stories I hear from these young girls are like, I had a girl come up to me one time and she was like, you know, you can like, you can like yell at me. She's like, you can, you can like yell at me if you want. And I'm like, I'm not going to yell at you. She's like, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. I'm like, what the heck? I'm not going to yell at you. You know, my wife, Dana, you know, she came from being a national team gymnast, level 10 gymnast from Canada and transitioned to pole vault and made an easy transition because of that. But there was one time before the Olympics in 04, we were like two weeks before and she wouldn't stop. And I'm like, you're good. But it's just that mentality of having to just beat her body down. And I basically walked off the track and I said, I'm not coaching. You go to Athens alone. <laughs> but right. I was trying to, I didn't want her to get hurt because she just has that mentality of working harder and harder and harder rather than efficiently, especially moving up to leading up to the Olympics. So I had yeah. I had to to deal with that early whenever we were training together. Just I, I bet that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So, so how, how was that, you know, two elite pole vaulters kind of, you know, coming up together and being in a relationship and things like that. It was the best thing. I'll never forget 2000, me and Jake Paul, I made the NACAC team. We were down in Monterey, Mexico, and we went to the warm up track and I saw her and Jake goes, where are we going to warm up? And I was like, I don't know about you, but I'm going over there. And that's how I I met Dana. And, um, you know, I saw her a year later in China at um, world university games and after that, we built a relationship and she moved out to L.A. to train with Anthony Kern and the good group they had back then at UCLA. And I was at the Olympic Training Center in San Diego. And and then we started spending more time together and um, I started coaching her and she started selling a little bit better using different cues and nothing that she didn't learn in Canada and learn with Anthony. Um, it's just having a training partner like that 24 seven was great because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, she was strong. I mean. She could do 35 pull-ups straight and beat almost every person at the training center. And, and it was better for me because I'm like, I can't let my wife beat me. <laughs> when it came to rope climbs and things like that and then running, and it, it was great because it, it allowed us to immerse ourselves 24-7 to be the best that we could be to our ability in the pole vault. Sometimes that was good. Sometimes it wasn't. You know, sometimes we probably needed a rest mm-hmm. um, physically and mentally, but we didn't. And the good thing about that was some years or some weeks I had a bad meet or I was hurt and vice versa. So we, we helped each other along the way, you know, both mentally and financially to try to keep going through the sport. Because if, if you're not jumping and you're hurt and you're out, you're not making any money. You know, you, we, we were lucky enough to have sponsors where we made a little bit, but you're making most of your money, you know, at meets in Europe throughout the year. And if you're not jumping and you're not jumping well, you're not getting paid. So it helped both of us uh, pick each other up when we were down. Um, and then if we both were on that year, it was really good. You know, right. we didn't have any arguments or anything because it, it did happen. But all of our arguments stem, stemmed from pole vault. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yeah. So uh, and they, weren't, they weren't bad or anything. It's just funny. You know, we talk about it now laughing. It's like, geez. Um, but it, it was great, man. I wouldn't ask for a, a better training partner. Um, it was great. And, you know, especially the times us living at the training center with all these elite vaulters, we had a pretty group, good group back then. It was me, Toby, Tim Mack, uh, Ty Harvey, Mary Sauer, uh, Tracy O'Hare, uh, a girl from China. We called her Sandy. I mean, we had a pretty good group. So we were immersed every day, 24 seven. 
And it was great to have Dana by my side because sometimes I would let the competitive juices get to myself and, and the others too, because it's hard when you're training, living 24 seven with your competitors. It's not like we didn't like each other, but we wanted to beat each other. Of yeah, course. You no. Know? And so to have Dana be able to train with me by my side on the days that I didn't want to train with the group or whatever, it was great. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah. And now, so, that's so you had mentioned, uh, about the money situation with, uh, you know, having, you know, competing post-collegially and, and, uh, having, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know, because like you said, if you're hurt or you're injured, like you, your, your income is based on how high you're pole vaulting. And that's basically it. Um, so to spin it a little bit, did, uh, did you have any of that Bowflex money or I, mean, I was waiting for it. <laughs> I was, I was very lucky, man. Um, you know, my junior year in college, I jumped 19 feet at the U S indoor championships against Lawrence Johnson, Jeff Hartwig, Pat Manson. I mean, all these guys, Nick high song, they're over there. And, and for me to, I think my PR going in was 18, four and a half. And I went and I PR, I jumped 18, six and a half, jumped 18, eight and a half, and then moved up to 19, one and made it. And I was just wow. so, I mean, here I am jumping with all these guys that I watched on video saying, oh my God, I'm, I'm here. So after that, I really focused on nutrition. I said, if I'm going to be the best in the world and beat these guys, I got to make sure when I walk on the track that everything's in line. Like, even if they're more talented than me, I know mentally if I eat right, sleep well, do everything decent that I'm going to have an edge on them mentally. And that's kind of how I put my focus after that meet. So I quit going out. I quit eating fast food and I really started studying exercise science, nutrition, and I practice it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so after I left college, I was lucky enough because I jumped 19 feet and I had a good senior year to where I had a small contract with ASICs and they were very good to me. I ended up staying with them for eight years, my whole professional career to have the same shoe sponsor, um, that helped me along the ways, my ups and downs. Um, cause I had some bad years in there as well, but my manager at the time was great. He goes, we got to bring this to a, a new level. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm going to work with a guy out of LA. He's, he's a, a modeling agent. I'm like, I'm not doing any of that stuff. There's <laughs> no worry. We're, it's all good. So I, I actually went to New York city for three months, lived there, did some stuff there, but Every time I was doing something, they're like, you need to be out in Miami or L.A. because you're more sports rather than the, the fashion. I'm like, I hate it, New York. No, no, no offense, but it just wasn't my cup of tea. You know, I'm from Louisiana, a small, small town kid going up there. And um, so when I was at the Olympic Training Center and my wife was uh, training in L.A., I spent a lot of time back and forth. But back then, there was a show early in the morning on ESPN. It was fitness shows, like 5 a.m., 5.30, 6 a.m. I don't know if you if it was during your time, but yeah, yeah. every morning and watch these shows. And I'm like, God, that's so awesome. These guys are on TV teaching exercises. It's like a dream, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then my, my manager calls me and says, hey, I got a gig for you, but you have to audition. And I'm like... Okay. He goes, but you're going to have to, I was going to a meet and he goes, but you're going to have to get on a plane right after me and you got to fly all the way to Portland. And I'm like, all the way to Portland. And I think this time I was doing an internship because I actually was roommates with Russ Johnson and Tim Mack for a short period of time after LSU. Okay. Not a lot of people know that I was training with Lawrence Johnson, but I was doing a, a coaching fellowship internship to finish my degree at the time. And I said, what better place to do it? The university of Tennessee, but also be able to live with all these pole vaulters and train with the best, the best of the time, which 
Lojo at the time was the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember leaving Knoxville, flying to Portland, and we're in this building in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And we're sitting at the warehouse and there's, there's about 20 people there casting for this thing, different age groups, male, female, and the Bowflex is in the corner of the machine. And I'll never forget this. And it's just sitting there and we're like two hours behind already. So we're all sitting there and just kind of just hanging out. So I just get on the machine. I start mimicking what I saw on TV and just kind of going through the motions, talking and making fun because they're laughing at me and I'm just being myself <laughs> Yeah. in the other corner because the lighting, we couldn't see what the whole producers and casting agency was sitting there getting ready to go. But I didn't know they were there. Well, they saw me and they, they walked up to me and they were like, I thought they were mad at me, but they're like, no, we know you got it. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So that's how I got it. I was just messing kind of on this machine. And, and, um, so, so I was one of them that got it and they had three tiers. They had, younger person at the time, which was me. And they had a middle-aged guy and then they had an uh, older guy. And um, it's kind of how it evolved, man. I built a relationship with them and champion nutrition and it kind of evolved from there. And it, it did subsidize my pole vaulting a lot. You know, it it really helped me out in the early part of my career to do those things um, to when I, I got better evolved as a professional pole vaulter, I was able to make more money on the pole vaulting circuit along with sponsorships, but also have that in the background too. And I did a lot of other things with the company, um, which helped me, but you know, that's, that's what I try to tell um, young vaulters. Don't just put all your eggs in one basket, do something else because not only is it good financially, it takes a lot of stress off of you financially and mentally when it comes to pole vaulting, if you're having a bad day, if you're having a bad year, you still have that to fall back on. And I think what a lot of young pole vaulters have done, which I've seen like you mentioned before, sleeping on couches, trying to, trying to just pole vault. I think that's the wrong way to, to do it. You know, do something else. Even if you have to sacrifice a lot at first, I mean, an example, when I was living with Tim Mack, he would leave the house before I would, because he was personal training people all throughout the day. And I wouldn't see him until nighttime because he would go throughout his day doing his training in the evenings and coaching in the evenings and then come back. And that's how Tim got his start. And it all evolved to where Tim was able to pole vault full time, but to get there, he had to do all these other things. Yeah. I think that's really important. Like you, you really need to have something making money is very beneficial, but if you're really serious about the pole vault, after you get out of college, um, you know, throughout your high school and your college collegiate career, you've, you have these classes and things to distract you during the day. But then like, after you get done with college, it's like, okay, I'm going full-time into pole vaulting. Like, and I'm going to really try to make it. And, um, you train for two hours and then what do you do the rest of the day? You know, you just sit around and probably scroll through Instagram and like start getting jealous of other people jumping this high or, or getting all, you know, bent out of shape and thinking about, well, my jump sucks. Like, and I, you know, and then you, you could just sit there and let, like, you just sit there and mull over things about pole vaulting. And then two years into it, you're like, you know what, screw this. I'm done. You know, get something to distract you at least too. And I think that's like living at the training center for all those years. It was on and off for about eight years. It was hard living out there for what you just said. And the off season, it wasn't as hard because we would, we would train, you know, do weight session in the morning and do gymnastics in the evening and pole vault during the day or do sprint workouts. But during season, when you're not training a whole lot and you're trying to just kind of get ready for meets, then you didn't want to go surfing. You didn't want to go do other things because you needed to rest your body and you, you kind of go crazy. 
when I first moved there, I was actually working in a gym on top of doing all the bow flex and like I would go to expos and things like that, promote the the brand and the nutrition company they bought out and things like that. So I was doing other things, but then I would go to LA and do castings all day. I would train in the morning and we'd drive to LA and do castings and I wouldn't get some of the things, but some of the other commercials and stuff I got is because I went there and I, I would tell pole vaulters this, you got to be in a place to where you're able to do stuff like that. For example, if you want to get in commercials and, and photos shoots and things like that, you probably need to be in LA. That, that's just where everything happens. Um, for example, I did a commercial with Hyundai and I got an email that morning saying, Hey, we're having castings at USC open castings. I told Dana, I said, let's go to this. So I got in the car, drove two hours, went to LA, got to USC, got there, warmed up. I, I think I went short run on a 15 foot pole and I jumped, I had the bar like it, 17 feet and i'm like okay i can put it higher but then i realized people that were there there was only a handful of people there and they couldn't jump they never pole vaulted in their life but they were they were good looking but they never pole vaulted and i blew it out of the water because i and i'm like god i just jumped 17 feet it was just like oh my god but (laughs) then the next person was like 10 feet right so it was because i put in the effort and i went and that's how i got it you know and i i had two or three other things with that that company and paid pretty well, you know, and we shot, we, we shot that commercial actually in Carson city, Nevada in a, the middle of a salt field, freezing cold below 30. Um, you know, spirit was my sponsor. So I called Steve Chapel and I said, Steve, I'm shooting this commercial and they, they had some poles ready for me. And, um, uh, they ended up painting the poles silver. So I don't know how happy Steve was, but, uh, <laughs> the crossbar they had was a metal crossbar about, four inches in diameter that was welded on the standards. Hold on. It didn't, they welded hit it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm dead. So I was, I was trying to figure out what pole I was. They had a board runway out there. They, they, they brought out all this crushed limestone middle of nowhere. Like I said, we had an, we had an RV to where we did all of our stuff in and it was freezing. Right. And I remember thinking to myself and my wife was there and I'm like, okay, what pole am I going to be on? Like, this is sketchy, man. Like you just yeah. telling me about this. The, this is in the very middle sketchy. Of season, right in the middle of season, like on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I got I got the circuit coming up, and I I strained my hamstring, and I still had to I still had to compete. You know, I still had to shoot just to make ends meet and to make the money. And I didn't I didn't want to walk away from the commercial because then I would never get something again. So I was actually limping down the runway, and I'm like, okay, what pole am I going to be on? How am I going to clear this welded big pipe on this these standards? And they had it at four ninety. I'll never forget. I'm like, okay, it's 16 feet. I can clear 16 feet in my sleep. Let's just do it. But a couple of times I blew through the pole and I'm ducking under it. And, and, um, so once I got my rhythm, it was good. It was good. So, so it was around 16, it could have been a little higher, but it was around there. And I got in the rhythm of doing that commercial, but that was a hard commercial. It was three days and it was cold and it was tough. And, and these people that do these things, they have no idea about the pole ball. You're teaching them a lot. They're, they're producers, right? They're used to going from one shoot to the other. I mean, the week before, I, I'll never forget, I'm sitting in the trailer and call time was like 5 a.m. because they want the best lighting. And they said, how much time do you need to warm up? And remember, we're out in the middle of the desert. It's freezing. I said, I need 45 minutes. I just need that to warm up to be ready. I said, once I'm ready to go, I said, we're going to be able to shoot this in no time. I said, but just give me 45 minutes. No problem. And I said it numerous times. I'm sitting there getting ready. 
And I'll never forget hearing on the call, the producer goes, we're ready for him. Five minutes, send, send him out. And I'm like, no, I was like, and I was about to, I was about to, I was about to walk out. Cause again, I'm in the middle of season. I have all these other things that are more my focus. And I got mad and I'll never forget apologizing to the, the people in the um, wardrobe. And she says, don't worry, honey. We just left the shoot with George Clooney. He was the biggest right. um, words because it's a public podcast. And I'm like, oh, it made me feel better. But I'm like, you just had George Clooney in this place? They're like, yeah, a couple of days ago. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. But they have no idea of what it takes for us to, to pole vault. So when you're doing all these things, and Jeff can attest to some of these, too, because he's done a few things that you're you're showing up sometimes not you you have to expect the unexpected and be ready to go so right but that's all part of the fun you know even the bowflex stuff was fun i mean you know that probably helped my career more than anything doing that kind of stuff you know and, and but that's that's my point you got to do something else you know i was i was very blessed and lucky enough to have those other things but at the same time it made me eat healthy it made me stay in shape even in the off season when a lot of people let themselves goes i i, I knew i couldn't and it kind of helped me become a better pole vaulter in my mind to where I was always fit, maybe mm-hmm. too fit sometimes. Maybe I could have had a little bit more fat on my a body. snack, have a snack or something. Because <laughs> I, When I say I was 100% pole vault, I was. And I think to be successful at anything, though, you, you have to almost immerse yourself into it, you know, no matter what you're doing. Um, so I, I don't really have any regrets doing that stuff because at the time, I thought it was the best decisions that were going to help me pole vault both physically and mentally. So. Right. And I mean, you could think, you could think, all right, whenever you have a steel four inch in diameter beam welded to a standard, um, you're not really thinking about, you know, Olympic trials or, or like us (laughs) nationals. You're like, okay, how am I going to get over this thing and survive? I'm freezing cold. You know, this is very strange. Actually, I'm curious. I, you may not know this because I'm sure that they did not take this into account. Uh, what were the standards at? I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. That was part of, that was part of the issues because they didn't bring out pole vault standards. It was too still. And if you watch the commercial, it's too still beams. You can see it. Yeah. And Mike, and this is before, like, I, I guess they can't. They didn't have, I don't know, the same technology back in the, to just have a real crossbar and then be able to put something in there for the commercial. But I know uh, Steve brought me three poles and I'm very grateful because I was dropping grips. I was moving steps. I mean, I was doing everything in my wisdom to make sure I got on a rhythm and a roll. So, and you can imagine they want every angle and they want you to jump a hundred times. You're not going to a pole vault commercial or photo shoot jumping five times. Forget mm-hmm. about it. So you better be rested leading up to that because it's a hundred, 150 times. Is so that you, right? You can imagine, even if you're going short run. So my short run at the time was like 70 feet. You got to be in shape and ready to go. And then I think that's where a lot of people that think it's something glamorous. It's not because you're not only like having to do things right to look good on camera, to end, but you got to have good technique and you got to have the, the endurance to go through taking a hundred jumps in a day. So what year was that? that that yeah, particular was, commercial uh the hyundai commercial that was after all that i was after my contract with bowflex ended so i would say that's probably 2005 2006 that was in the prime of my career too yeah and then you won in 2006 yeah which is a crazy story because a lot of people don't know this but in 2003 
I, my wife and I got married. I, I had a job opportunity at McNeese State, which is in my hometown, small one double A school at the time. And I took it because I was making okay money pole vaulting, but it, I wasn't having good years. And pole vaulters at that time were really good. If you weren't jumping five ninety six meters, I mean, you weren't getting in anywhere. Mm. And I mean, it was hard because even though I had 19 feet, I wasn't consistent at the time, not like I was later. And I, you know, your podcast, I was watching the one with you and Jeff. I mean, it is all about consistency. I mean, you jump 18, eight, you're in, but you got to do that every time. And they want to see it done all the time in any conditions. Um, so I took a job as a track coach and I kind of semi-retired. I was like, you know what? I'm just not feeling it. Cause I wasn't jumping that well. Um, but then I, I had a story, I, I'll, I'll try to keep it short and sweet, but I had a brother who was living at home with me. He was a pole vaulter slash football player. He ended up getting in a car accident and dying. And it really hit me hard because he's like, you need to be back training full time. You're wasting your career. You're wasting your opportunities. And when he died, it really hit me. And I'm a very passionate, emotional, spiritual guy. Um, and we were really close. And when that happened, I went to my athletic director and I said, Hey, I have this opportunity. I can go back to the Olympic training center, train for free and try to get back on the horse. And my sponsors were still backing me, which was great. And so my wife and I dropped everything. We, we were building a house. We sold the house and then we move into it. I sold all my cars. I sold, we sold everything. We moved back to the Olympic training center in a suite with another married couple, Ty Harvey and Amy Acuff, which a lot of people know Amy Acuff's a five-time Olympic, um, high jumper who was on the cover of a very famous magazine back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I Harvey, you know, jump 591 was a world champion silver medalist. And so they were a sweet mate. So we moved back there and it was like a second win for my career. So during that time I moved back to the training center, was able to pole vault full time, but that's when I did the commercial. I remember, but then I really had a different focus in the pole vault. I said, you know what, I'm going to hit this thing. This is going to be my last year. I'm going to go. And that's where I started being consistent. And that 2006 year, um, I got really consistent. I won U.S. championships. I jumped 19 feet, I think, three or four times leading up to that championships. And I knew I was going to win. And I had a lot of help from Ty Harvey. I'll tell you what, he's probably I've had a few coaches along the way, but Ty Harvey probably helped me the most to figure out the pole vault from a technical standpoint, where to grip and pulls. Mm -hmm. You know, Ty was one of the first ones to jump on Essex when he first came out. Uh, Ty was a very smart vaulter and we're still good friends to this day, but uh, we got time, right? I can tell you a quick. Oh, story. absolutely. Yeah. No, I love Ty Harvey and, uh, Amy Acuff. I, I, uh, she has this new app that she developed, uh, called yeah, I did. analyze or right. something. We've been going back and forth talking about maybe, uh, pole vaulting features Oh, cool. on there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, so you know them well then, um, so at the time we had Grand Prix one series and Grand Prix two series on the world circuit before they had like Golden League and Diamond League. So, and it was a point system and prize money at the Grand Prix ones were a little bit better and you got more points and the Grand Prix twos were lower, but you still got points. Grand Prix twos usually were lower level meets earlier in the season. So I used to always, because at the time I was usually ranked fourth or fifth in the US and I always needed an extra step to get past Nick Hysong, Jeff Hartwig, Lojo, you know, all these guys that were top 10 in the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here trying to make spots on the bigger meets. So I always knew I had to go to these meets. I always went to Japan early. I always went to Brazil earlier to Grand Prix one meets, but they all, they had a meet in Martinique in the Caribbean, which is a French Island. It's a Grand Prix two meet at the same time Drake was going on. 
Mm. So I said, this is my opportunity. Everyone went to Drake. Well, I always went to Martinique. Not only I got a vacation for a week in the Caribbean, but it was a Grand Prix to me. So I was able to accumulate a lot of points. So in 2006, it was me, Bubba McLean, Adam Kuehl, and Lojo. Mm. Meet up in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'll never forget this. And we, our planes never, our poles never got on the plane. We go down to this Caribbean island and it's hard to make it to an island like that, especially with pole vault poles because of the plane size. Mm. But luckily, it was a French island and they had like big planes coming in from Europe and big plane coming in like once every two days from the US. The French team used to always use this as a training camp. So they were always there as well. So it was cool because I that's where I got to meet Jean Gaffion, my, my idol. Yeah. Uh, but we show up, we didn't have any poles. Our poles were not making it. And here, here we are. Three, four of us, different vaulters, different statues. You had Lojo, who was on cannons. You had Huge Adam Kuehl, who was a 570 jumper on cannons. Then you have Bubba McLean, which is smaller than me. I don't know what size poles he were on. He was on. But then you have me, and I'm like, great, what am I going to do? So I went, and I spoke a little French, because in Louisiana, you have to learn French. So I had a little bit of French dialect, so I spoke to the guys, and I'm like, can we borrow your poles? They were like, no. And I'm like, yeah. They're not going to let us borrow their poles, guys. And they're like, what? Lojo's getting all mad. I'm like, sorry, they're not going to let us borrow their poles. Finally, Roman Menil, uh-huh. I, I asked him, he says, well, we have this set of poles that are here in, in Martinique. They were broken, small poles, old as can be, right? And I'm like, what are we going to do, guys? And poor, the poor big guys, they had no chance, right? They right. didn't have three trunks. Well, they had a cut 16-foot pole that was about 15, six broken. I don't know where they, where it was broken on what end. I can't even remember. Oh, and I, I remember telling the Lojo and Bubba, I said, I'm going to go from short run. I'm just going to grip and see what happens. And I ended up jumping 560, gripping like 15 feet on a pole. I don't even know what the, the weight was. Oh my gosh. So I learned there because Ty Harvey was helping me leading up to that meet. I learned there. I went back and I told Tito, I said, Tito, can you believe this? I jumped 61 to Grand Prix two on this pole. He goes, I told you, he goes, you don't need to be on all these big poles. And I wish I would have known that years ago when I was on trying to get on five tens and I jumped some heights on five tens. I jumped five eighty on both five tens and five meter poles. Uh But I was like, you know what, Ty, you're right. I'm like, I am open to whatever you teach me. Ty Harvey cuts a series of my five meter poles down to four nineties. And I listened to your podcast with Sam and it was very intriguing. Cause I'm like, God, if I would have been as smart as Sam, like I could have jumped higher. I could jump more consistent. Like this kid is uh-huh. Ty cuts all of my poles four inches. So I'm gripping 15, 10 that whole year leading up to us championships. I jump 18, eight or above more than I ever had before gripping 15, 10, and at U.S. Championships, I jumped the 19-foot bar against Toby on a 14-0 cut five-meter pole. So I don't even know what the flex would be, right? Gripping right. 15. And I never told anybody. Gripping 15-10? that day. And I never told anybody because yeah. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God, I'm jumping on these small poles compared <laughs> to what, like, these guys are. You know, Brad was jumping out, out, of the moon, out to the moon that, that year, and I'm like – but I end up winning. I learned so much in that short period of time. And this is what I try to tell pole vaulters now. Quit trying to overgrip. Like Sam said it, use whatever your athletic ability is going to give you. Mm-hmm. And he is right on when he said that in your podcast, because here I am. I can run 1032 and 100 meters, right? 
but my takeoff was inefficient. I was always under and I wasn't as strong as a good technical vaulter as I was as a physical powerful vaulter. I used my strengths, but if I was smart like Sam was, or if I knew this uh, information that Ty Harvey taught me, I probably would have had a longer career and a more consistent career and probably could have made, made it further, you know? And, um, that year was very special to me because not only I dropped everything in my life, moved away from my hometown, left the head coaching job at a D1 school when I was 25 mm-hmm. to, to move to this small room with my wife, with Amy Acuff and Ty Harvey, <laughs> to have the best year of my life, to be able to win U.S. championships, jump 19 feet consistently, get into all the big meets that I was trying to get into all my life because I was U.S. champion, go to the World Cup, wear the U.S. jersey again. That was kind of the accumulation of my whole career. And the only reason why I kept competing is because my sponsors at the time said, we're going to give you two more years. You know, we're going to pay you to pole vault. And I, I remember telling my wife, I said, well, I don't know if my body can hold up, but I'm going to try and do it through 2008. So that 2006 year that you were talking about winning U.S. championships, that was a crazy year that I sacrificed everything and it just all the hard work and being open-minded to everything that I wasn't to before came, came about. And that, that was the reward that I got. And that was my Olympic games to me because of what I went through emotionally with my family, losing my brother and me making the move again. And I haven't told a whole whole lot of people that story, but that's what pole vaults about. It's ever changing and you never know what's going to come next. But if you, you stick to something and you have passion about something, and you have support from family, you have support from friends, and you keep at it, you never know, because I basically hung up my spikes, even though I knew I wasn't ready, but it took all of that to get me to that point to relive the dream again. And then those next two years were great, because I I didn't really put a lot of pressure on myself. My wife and I got to travel the world together, because she was jumping higher for Team Canada, getting in all the meets. And you know, after 2008, it hurt me that I didn't make the team and I got fourth place. But at the same time, the year of 2006 was really uh, a big year for me. And it helped me mentally get over once I retired, getting over retiring from the sport and moving on. So that is uh, really cool. And we had talked before we uh, got on here. I was in the <laughs> stands that day watching you jump that 580 bar and win that and uh and in the moment i was like wow that's really really cool but it's just so wild you know how 15 however many years later i now i hear the story behind it and it's like wow that like puts a whole new meaning to me seeing that smile on your face and seeing you so excited i remember being like oh he's excited you know like but but i had no context you know I had tears coming out. I could, I remember they interviewed me after and I could barely get through it because they knew the story. Um, and that was very emotional. And I knew going in, Jake, I, I knew if my body held up cause I had hamstring issues later in my career from all my sprinting back in the days at LSU and training, running fast. And I mean, it has its toll on the body. I mean, everyone wants to be fast but at the same time. You have to be really smart because you're a dragster running out there. You know, you're redlining your body every single jump, every single sprint practice, you're redlining. And at the end of the day, you're going to blow something. And that's kind of what happened to me at the end of my career. But that night I had therapy on it. And I, I told my therapist, Mary Sowers husband, I said, can I make it? And he goes, yes, it's, it's the tissue's good enough. You're going to make it. And I remember telling him and my wife, I said, I'm going to win tomorrow. 
I, I said, they're not going to beat me. I just, it's crazy when an athlete's on, you just know. Yeah. And Tito, Tito leading up to there, I remember we had a meet at the training center and I jumped 19 feet, but leading up to that, he goes, oh God, he told everyone, Russ is on. I can see it. He, he's on. I can see <laughs> you know, he was jokingly saying it, but he's so right. When you know an athlete's on, you know, so those years when I saw Brad start coming up, you know, I knew Brad was on. I was like, yeah, I'm getting second today. I, Brad, Brad, you're not beating him today. And you know it when you see that athlete. That day, yeah. new leading up to that, if my body could hold up, I was going to win, no matter what it was going to take. And then Toby gave me a good run for my money, like he always did, because we practiced together daily at the training center. But I just, I, I knew it was my time. And, you know, that was my time. And unfortunately, it wasn't the Olympic year. You know, yeah. who's to say those guys might have been ready to jump higher during the Olympic year. But, um, but to wear that uniform again that year, it was, it was great, man. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough. I, I had a wonderful vault career. It's bringing so much joy to my life. And, you know, to, and to go full circle, to be back doing what we're doing right now. I mean, me being back in, I never would have thought I've been back in the pole vault world, to be honest with you. And, and here cool. we are. So, but absolutely. I, unfortunately, if I, if, if I would have worked more on my pole vault technique and been a little bit more open-minded rather than just being a horsepower vaulter, which I was, that's what got me there. I, I probably would have jumped higher, but you know what? It's, it's hard because I still jump over 19 feet doing what I was doing. So it's hard to let go of what you're trying to do to do something new, you know? And um, yeah. And it's, but, it's hard. It's hard, but I think it's more, I think it's more of uh, your ability to, I think that there are, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying as a pole vaulter. I'm, I'm, so I think that it, a lot of it is uh, maybe there's some pride things that go into it. You know, yeah. you had, you had mentioned like, well, these guys are on these and I don't even want them to know what I'm on, you know, like, and then, and then there's also the other thing is that you, you look around at what other people are doing. And if, if Brad's jumping, you know, five ninety on a five twenty. It's like, well, I'm on a five meter. How am I going to compete with this guy? You know? And, and then the last thing is just having that like belief in, in what you do. And I think that was the point that I was trying to make with Sam is that for Sam, you know, and it sounds like for you and, and other pole vaulters too, tons of other pole vaulters, um, it's like, Hey, that short, that little shorter grip and, um, you know, on a stiffer, shorter pole, like really, really works for you, but you have to believe that it works for you. Like yeah. if you, if you're not willing to just be like, okay, I know that this is strange and I know this goes against what basically everyone's told me my whole life, but I'm going to believe in what I do and I am going to, you know, execute that and not really care what anybody thinks because I believe that this is how I'm going to be the best that I can be. And I think that Sam has just done that very, very well where he is just like, you know, I, I really don't care. I'm just going to stay in my lane. I'm going to do my thing. I'm not going to look this way or this way. I'm just going to look straight forward and I'm going to execute. And uh, him and his dad have a plan and it might be a little bit, you know, quote unquote different, you know, as far as, you know, staying on four nineties and doing that, you know, and not you know, raising your grip up to 17 feet, you know, but gosh, dang, man, what else proofs in the pudding? Like what else do you got to do? You know, it worked for him. It won't work for everybody though. That was another point that I was trying to make too, is like you get a big old boy, like, um, 
I'm trying to think of somebody. Jeremy Scott. Jeremy Scott. Yeah, I don't see him jumping too high on uh, 490s. <laughs> He's probably doing like swing through drills on 490s. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy too. You know, uh, during that podcast, you made some good points, and I was really brainstorming. Like for myself, I'm like, I jumped on every pole. You know, even on I jumped on Nordic poles too, which you know, uh, I've back, jumped on those before too. They're like this big round, you know, they're heavy, but I always went back to spirit, and for me, spirit was more consistent for what I'm doing. Not to say that Essex weren't bad or, or, or were bad or the Pacers were bad. Pacers used to, I had some of those in college. I mean, they sent me a set of carbons and I got rejected so many times and I was probably, I was strong and fast. Right. <laughs> but were harder for me to get into, but spirit worked. And then my point is it doesn't matter what pole you got to be confident where you grip and what pole you're on and, and it has to be consistent we have to eliminate all the variables that we can control, right? Because the pole vault is the variables are constantly changing where the box is, you know, the, the mats. people don't talk about this, but you go to a meet and the mats are different. The perception is different. You know, do you have something in the background? Do you not? I mean, in Europe, the cool thing was like, sometimes we're jumping in the street vault in front of a church. My last year I jumped in a brewery. And I mean, <laughs> the, the, the runway was like, six feet high you step off like you're done you know know, really quick could you could you just explain because people might not understand about the pit thing so there it's different in europe than it is here can you explain the difference between the pit especially back then too back then geez i'm aging myself but like you know in the early 2000s i mean you didn't have all these safety variables that you have to deal with now you know we didn't have boss collars but my first year my first meet in europe was castle germany i i jumped at ncaa championships I won every meet that year I was on. Everything was gold. I go to Castle, Germany. It's cold. It's rainy. I get stood up three times and land on the runway. I'm like, what in the world is going on? But their their pits went straight to the back of the box, the front buns. If you call them front buns, that was it. So the perception of planning was different. Uh, you know, the pits were smaller. They didn't have padding around the standards. I mean, so you're jumping on a box which for me, I, it wasn't that I was scared. It just threw me off. I mean, I, like I said, that year I was on and, um, I remember my steps were off too. I'll I'll never forget this. I go and everything's in metric, right? Well, back then we just dealt with feet and inches in the U S they're using more metric. Now I know the state of Florida, we use metrics now, but my run was off three feet. My three meets going into it. I'm like, what is wrong with me? And it was just the whole different variables, like you said, the pit, the depth perception, all that. Jake Pauli meets me at a meet, I think, in Switzerland. And I'm like, is that a U.S. tape measure? And he goes, yes. And I measure my step. I did the calculation all wrong. My step was off like four feet. And I finally was able to get back on rhythm. But you had all these <laughs> going on. And I'm like, man, what is the deal? So to go back to what we were talking about, you got to keep the variables consistent. You know, that's that's why my wife and I love surfing now, because the variables are constantly changing. And you're trying to get used to a new sport and they're constantly changing just like the pole vault is. And so you try to keep your grip, you know, the poles you're on, try not to change too much because it's ever changing. If you go to a meet, you got bad winds, the conditions, the runways. I mean, how hyped are you up for the meet? You know, there are certain meets I wouldn't be hyped for and I was running different. I could only get on certain poles and I go to a big meet where the crowd's bigger. I'm pumped. I'm going through poles. I mean, that's something a lot of people don't talk about. I try to talk to my vultures about, we went to Sean Young's place I said that week, I said, all right, these are board runways. Sean has a really good runway. It's Mondo board runways. 
and we're going to have a good tailwind by the beach. Like you're going to, I said, bring every pole. I said, your step's going to back up. What do you mean? I'm like, trust me, get used to it. What do you know? My kids' steps are backing up three or four feet. And I'm like, plus your adrenaline, you know, getting used to everything. So, um, you know, you just got to control the variables. And I think the people like Sam, Mondo, these guys that understand the variables that they can control within their athletic ability. Mm-hmm. That's why they are the best of the best because they are able to do that because it's, I mean, look at the meat and gates head the other day. Did you watch it? Did you see it was raining? Cold? Is that the raining one? Yeah. 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 Was holding the umbrella. I mean, I watched the meet and I'm like, that's, that's tough. And people at home might say, Oh, they look at the results. Oh, they only jumped 575, it's 574. But I'm like, yeah, England's usually cold, 50 degrees, wet, rip slipping. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. constantly changing. So that's why I, I, the guys who can jump consistent and well over in Europe throughout the conditions because one meet you can have in Greece which is hot clear the next meet you go to England which is cold and rainy and wet and it's two days later and you're tired you got to be able to jump and that's that what that's what separates the elite vaulters from the good vaulters to be honest with you yeah and I like the way that Sam uh put it is he was explaining it as like every time you uh jump you know, 580, you get a poker chip. Like it's, uh, you know, that's what you get to play with. And so his, his goal is not really, I mean, he said it straight up. He's like, my goal is not to break the world record. My goal is just basically jump 580 as many times as I possibly can. And could you imagine like how, you know, if you, if you take that approach to things and you can just be like, okay, I'm comfortable where I'm at and I'm just going to try to maintain, you know, this consistency where I'm at. Um, and then you end up, you know, basically being able to jump 19 feet, wind, rain, sleet, snow, whatever, you know, and I mean, I mean, I, I'd put him, I'd bet my money on him jumping 580 in basically any condition, you know, exactly. which is pretty awesome. You look at Hartwig and that's, that's one of the reasons why I think Jeff was so successful because it was later on in his life that he was successful as a vaulter because he was older, he was smarter and he was, he was a lot smarter than all of us. You know, when it came to pole vaulting, he understood the event better than most of us did. And I think that's what helped him, not only the physical attributes that he has, but he was able to play the game really well. Cause I've seen Jeff jump some high bars in some crappy conditions. Right. Yeah. He, he was another one. And it's just ironic that, you know, those two, two guys are like two exactly. people, hundred, hundred times over, uh, 18 feet or 19 feet is insane, man. It's just so, like when people ask me about Mondo though. Like I think Sam and Jeff are a perfect storm with his dad in the background. And I think Mondo with his upbringing, his mom and his dad being elite athletes at LSU and what he was brought up, it's a perfect storm for what's happening right now. And we're seeing it. And we're lucky to, to see these once in a generation athletes compete in our sport, right? Yeah. We see it in all the other sports, but now we're actually being able to see it. You know, I, when I jumped, I mean, I had to jump against, Tarasov, Gitalian, Galfion, you know, I never got to jump with Bubka, but I've been to his meet. But then you had Steve Hooker, and you, you know, you had all these great guys. And I'm like, am I ever going to see that again? And what I'm watching now, we watch it and I tell my wife, I'm like, they make it look so easy because pole vaulting's not that easy. Yeah. Like jumping even 18 feet is not easy. They make it look like it's second nature, but it's hard for me to explain people when they ask me when I go home about Mondo and I'm like, you guys have no clue what you're watching right now. You're uh-huh. watching the best ever in an event. That's probably one of the hardest things to do in a lifetime. 
you're watching it right now. So watch it and enjoy it because it's, it's artwork. It's beauty to see Mondo run down the runway and jump these bars. Like, I mean, he's jumping six meters like it's 550. Like it, I know. It, I, I've been, we've been <laughs> kind of going back and forth trying to get him uh, on the podcast. I was, uh, I, you know what? One thing I'd really want to see, I don't know if it's ever been done. Come in first attempt, six meters. Just come in the meet. I think he, there's some times where I've seen him over six meters. And I'm like, dude, he could legitimately come in at six meters. How sick would that be? That would be the coolest thing ever to see. Just like, yeah, I'm going to pass to six meters here and then just bomb it on your first attempt. <laughs> I knew who's going to be good, man, coming up in Louisiana. Cause last time I saw Mondo in person, he was one years old. We, we've had a meet in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we went over to his dad's house, had a barbecue, and he's running around with a diaper on. Yeah. And I, I just kind of followed him along the way. I knew he was going to be good. But damn, when he got to LSU and he started crushing my records, I'm like, this kid like could be really good. And then it really started happening. I'm like, holy crap. Like yeah. I would have never guessed he would have been this good. But he is. And it's, it's he, a great sport. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. He's, he's on he's billboards like, even back home in Louisiana. And you, you drive in Baton Rouge. He's on billboards, which in Europe's a, a normal thing. But here in the States, it's not. Yeah. I go to my hometown. Everybody knows who Mondo is. It's awesome. He's yeah. like uh, a real celebrity for our event. It's really just really cool. Um, the The thing with Mondo, I I still I think when I see him jump, he just still looks like he's jumping like when he was a little kid, except he's on a five twenty now, like gripping at the end of it. It, it looks to me like he's just kind of cruising in there just like he was whenever he was like 16 years old, you know, in high school. And I mean, obviously he's technically gotten better, but he just has this, like, it's almost like a little kid spirit, you know, that is just coming in there and just like having a good time. And it just looks, it's fun to watch somebody who has a supreme confidence in what they do. You know, like whenever you, you, you see people do something, it's like, wow, they just, have a supreme confidence in who they are and what they're doing. And like you had said, like you kind of, you had that going into that meet in 2006. It was just like, dude, I just kind of, I just, eh, I just know what's going to happen. You know, yeah, like it's the thing about watching Mondo too. You can tell he loves the sport yeah. and he, the best ambassador we could ask for in the sport, not to say Renault and those guys didn't do anything for it. They did, but now because he is the best ever, uh-huh. And watch him love it. Like you said, running down the runway, you can tell he's enjoying it. Like he's in his backyard jumping as a kid. I see the same thing. And I think from the sports standpoint, he's helped. I already think he's helped the pole vault so much when it comes to sponsorship and stuff. If you look, how many pole vaulters now are sponsored by Puma? You got Renault, you got Sandy. I mean, look, before Puma wouldn't sponsor any of us. You know, at the time I was the only ASICS athlete. Then you had just Nike. Lojo was Adidas. That was it. You couldn't find anything. And now I look and I see Puma starting to get out there and I'm like, he's done already more for the sport for pole vaulters than we could ask for, you know? And, and what happens too, when you have someone like Mondo, like our generation, women's pole vault started in 2000, right? So the women started getting in as they started getting good, started getting into all these meets and they were knocking the guys meets out. So we had less meets. Mm. And so there was a lot of guys that were bitter. 
I wasn't that bitter because you know what, if I didn't get in the meat, my wife was in it. So it was kind of like, all right, well, it is what it is. Yeah. But I think what we see now is like Mondo doing so well and Sam and the guys making the pole vault so fun to watch. They're in most of the meets now. Mm. And that's all you can ask for is that you want pole vault to be seen because you ask anybody in track and field, they want to watch the pole vault. They, they want to watch the pole vault. They want to watch the hundred. They might want to watch the 1500, but they're going to watch the pole vault because it's so extreme and they, they like to watch it. They like to watch when good stuff happens. They like to watch when bad stuff happens. Oh so, yeah. Uh, and I think it, it only helps the sport for what he's doing and too bad for COVID because we would, it, maybe it would have grown more last year, but I think this year with the Olympics and stuff, it's just going to continue to grow. Yeah, he was, man, he was on a roll. That was pretty, pretty fun to watch. So let's, uh, I I don't want to, you know, take too much of your time. So please let me know if, if, uh, if you need to get out of here, I just had like two other quick things that I wanted to, wanted to talk about. One of them was I'm sure Mondo and Sam and all these people kind of grew up in, uh, with the, well, actually maybe Mondo's too young, uh, the Neoval kind of generation like that was for me neo vault like when i got that first neo vault come on dvd for christmas i was like dude this is it right here (laughs) and um so tell us how all of that stuff happened because if you and if you don't know what neo vault is uh kind of just give them a a a quick explanation yeah so neo vault was like one of the first more recent pole vault videos that was put out there but sean brown who went to Cal Poly was a good vaulter. Um, they had a couple of good vaulters there too. They had Brad Pickett, Sean, uh, you know, Dean Starkey and those guys by Jan Johnson. They were out there training at the time. And so they all, they had a good group of vaulters always, but Sean, I think went to school to do like film and production. And obviously out in the West coast, the surf culture's big and they, they have all these surf videos. And Sean mentioned to us one time, he's like, let's do a pole vault video. That's like similar to what they're doing with surfing, which just kind of the showing the day of the life of a pole vaulter, showing some competitions, but putting some cool music to it, making some funny stuff, making some serious things. And, and he asked us all, Hey, would you guys mind if I tagged along to some of these meets? And we're like, sure. I think it was me, Scott Slover, who jumped at UCLA, uh, you know, all the West coast guys. And, so we did it. We were just having fun. You know, we were just kind of doing what we normally did, you know, and I, I was, I had a lot of energy back then too. So I was all about it. <laughs> I love being in front of the camera back then. And um, I was doing my other stuff, but this was cool because it was pole vault. And Sean used to hit me up all the time. He's like, Hey, if you ever have anything, let me know. I'll meet you. And so I think on there too, there's a photo shoot down in LA where he came to UCLA and filmed a little bit, not only the Bowflex stuff, um, and it was things like that where I was trying to help the sport too. You know, we, we didn't make any money off of it, but Sean, Sean was, and Sean was trying to get it out there. And so for me, it was like, Hey, we're just doing what we're doing. He's trying to promote us, trying to promote the sport Yeah. Which, <laughs> for my career. It was good because I was on it. You know, you watched us vault. Not only you see us, but then you see, you might say, Hey, I want to vault like this guy. I want to do this or I want to do that. That's how I was watching all the older guys that I was talking about earlier you know, all the guys from T uh, from ACU and Texas and all Joe dial, all these guys that I watched. So, uh, it was great, man. It was a good time. If you, if you ever watch it, if the, the young vaulters out there want to watch it, get it because it, it's pretty cool. You'll see kind of the day of the life of what it was like in the mid early two thousands, traveling around pole vaulting, going to street meets, 
um, doing commercials, doing photo shoots, kind of, kind of living, living a day in the life of a pole vaulter, you know? And the cool thing is like each one of us has a different personality and a different background and a different mindset going into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think, I I think on one of the Neo vaults, Scott Slover was sponsored by this Hummer dealership. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm this amazing guy and I'm like, Scott drives up to a meet, I think meeting Clovis or something. And, um, Scott, he's in a Hummer. And I'm like, dude, is this yours? He goes, yeah, they gave it to me for the, for the year. And I'm like, I'm like, this is right when Hummers came out. I'm like, it's a big Hummer. Like I want a Hummer. You know? That's but, awesome. But little things like that. And the, the photo shoots, the Bowflex things, all, all that stuff, man. I mean, it's just, um, it was a good time filming all those things. And he tagged along. And I, I know a couple of Neo vaults later, you know, he went to Europe, you know, on his own dime, sleeping on couches, you know, following us around, going to street meets, you know, and people don't understand street meets for pole vaulters are great. I know a couple of vaulters might've mentioned it on your podcast, but you had your big meets on the weekends, but then pole vaulters make more money and than a lot of the other events do because we can do street meets. So right. we would do two to three street meets during the week. And that's how you stayed in Europe. That's how you made money. And that's how you slept and ate. I mean, that's how it was, but it was fun too, because it was just pole vault. And right. all, the one meet we had in the brewery and in, um, in Germany, we're pole vaulting and everyone's drinking beer and throwing beer on us, having brought words. And we're sitting here pole vaulting. And the more time went on, the more rowdy the crowd got. And it was, it was really cool to have things like that. So Sean got to tag along and see the experiences that we had in Europe as well. So that's kind of how it evolved, man. Um, I was glad that Sean was able to film some of that stuff because over the years, you tend to forget about those times. But if you pop the DVD back in and start watching like, oh, my God, how how embarrassing did I embarrass myself? Hey, it's not embarrassing at all, man. You you guys were like heroes to us. So the cool cool story with that is uh, I ended up, I jumped in uh, Finland when Sean was doing Oh, around okay. in, in Europe. And I, I was at, a, at, uh, this meet and, um, he started and I saw him and I was like, dude, that's Sean Brown. Like that's a Neo vault guy. And, <laughs> and so we met and, uh, and he started filming and I just didn't even think anything of it. And, uh, and then that following Christmas, we got the Sean's great adventure or whatever, uh, Neo vault one. And I, and we were watching it and I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh. I was like, there I am. I'm on Neil Vaughn. It was, it was so cool, man. And, and, uh, I think what, you know, in my opinion, what came before that was sky systems. Did you, did you ever watch sky systems? That was Jan Johnson, right? And yeah. Watch that. I mean, that I, I, I still do some of those drills that Jan was doing with some of my vultures today, you know, just easy drills, but that's, that was one of the first video tapes that I had tapes. See? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sky systems Americana. We used to, we yeah. watched that one sky systems, one sky systems, two. We used to watch those all the time. Um, and, uh, and then the cool thing now is we, we grew up, me and my brothers grew up skateboarding. And, uh, so we would go into these skate shops and, and every time you go into the skate shop, they got a video on, you know, it's probably similar to a surf shop, you know, they got the video on and it's like, Oh yeah, that's that video. And so now at rise, when they walk in, we always have a different Neo vault uh, playing cool, on the TV, you know? <laughs> so then in the little waiting area, they, they can kind of watch it just like whenever I used to go into the skate shops and stuff like that. So it's cool, man. And if you, I, that's the thing is I was thinking the other day, I was like, I want to talk to Russ about, um, 
the Neil of all thing, but I was like, man, I don't even know if people can even get those anymore. You know, Sean Brown, you got to get some, the production out on those again. Now, you know, I lost touch with every, everyone. And, um, you know, now that I'm not out in the West coast, like it's, it's different, but you know, Neil, Vault, those things, I mean, it, times are different now, but it, it definitely helped my career. You know, yeah. I, think, I think all over, you know, the pole vault world, I was more known as the Bowflex guy and I was jumping overnight. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing in college because I ran the relays. Like people would come up to me, Oh, you're the guy that runs the relay, right? On the four by one. I'm like, uh, yeah, I also pole vault 19 feet. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't care about the running so much, but it's kind of, but I, I couldn't ask for anything better, man. Cause doing that stuff just, it, it helped my career out. Now I can't, I can't explain it anymore. It was fun to do. I mean, right. it's great. You know, uh, yeah. I, I still, I still get stuff today, man, from fitness people. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. You know? And I did one last, I did one earlier this year with Kaiser, you know, just to do it. Cause it was a friend of mine running Kaiser and yeah, I was curious. Yeah. So that was like the last thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about was number one, are you still in the fitness industry at all? Or I, I, you know, after we quit pole vaulting, I think I took two weeks off and I got back in the gym and I was doing stuff in the gym that I couldn't do when I was pole vaulting. You know, I'm not power cleaning and doing all that stuff anymore, but, um, I still stay in shape. I, my two passions now are surfing and cooking. So I, I cook every night, I cook healthy and we still eat healthy. So we stay in shape. We never got out of shape. Mm. And when something comes along, we will do it. Um, like the Kaiser thing, I didn't have to diet or anything for that. I just went into it and, and did it, you know? And so it, it was good. I, I don't take it to extreme like I used to. Um, but I just stay in shape, man, you know, just living life, trying to be active and not sitting on the couch, watching TV. That's, that's why we love living in warm, area, <laughs> warm weather places. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I like to surf now I get out there and mess around with the pole vault a little bit. You know, my body just can't take it anymore after all those years of training so hard. I probably overtrained too. I, I know I overtrained. People ask me all the time if I could do anything different. All right. I trained as hard. But my coach at the time at LSU, I mean, he got me fast and he got me strong and he got me over 19 feet. So I couldn't ask for anything more. You know, so people yeah. ask me all the time what you do for training. I'm like, sprint. You know, you gotta right. have speed. You you might can be somewhat slow, but you gotta have speed. That's the bottom line. Right. For sure. So this is my, my last question. And it's a selfish question. How does somebody, I have two daughters and I've got, you know, jobs and stuff like that. How does somebody who's an ex pole vaulter, uh, and has kids stay in good condition? <laughs> How do you do it, man? Cause I mean, you're, you're still shredded. Well, I'm not, I don't, I don't know about that, Jake, but <laughs> I, again, healthy lifestyle, man. I'm lucky. I love to cook. Like last night I, I made this, you know, seared tuna dish with, you know, avocado. I mean, that's how we eat. I, we probably eat red meat once every two weeks. Okay. We, we eat healthy. We're still active. You know, I have gym stuff in my garage, but working at IMG, I'm lucky I go to the weight room, you know? Uh, so like, let's get a little more dialed in here. So like uh, how, 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 how many, like how many days are you still lifting and do you sprint at all still? Do you run? I, I don't, like I don't sprint. I, my, every time I go out there and I think I'm going to sprint with the kids, my, I start feeling my Achilles, my knee, my hamstring. And I'm like, you know what? I'm 42. I just, I can't do that anymore. But we jog, we paddleboard, we surf, 
I don't do a whole lot of cardio, to be honest with you. Mm. I just eat healthy, but I do lift weights probably four or five times a week. But I'm in the gym 30 minutes. I'm out. Like right. it's, I might jog from my office to the weight room and I'm in there 30 minutes and I'm out and I, I go get a smoothie or something. And that's, mm. that's it. I go to pole vault practice. So uh, I'm not doing a whole lot, but I luckily have an exercise science degree, nutrition degree and working in the strength conditioning field, I kind of figured out for my age, what I need to do. And I don't, I don't lift heavy um, anymore, but I lift smart, but like, I'll give you an example. Like on a Monday I might do, um, I do a big muscle group. So I'll do back. So I'll do some cardio stuff either in the morning or in the afternoon or paddleboard or jog or ride a bike, whatever I got to do. But then if I'm in the weight room, I'll do back on Monday. Tuesday, I'll do a medium muscle group, meaning I'll do chest and weighted abs. Wednesday, I'll do a large muscle group. I'll go uh, legs. But then by then, my central nervous system is shot. I can barely get out of bed because I'm tired. So I do a small muscle group on Thursday, which would be shoulders and traps. And then Friday to mess around, I'll do arms. But then the weekend, I don't do anything. I spend time with my kids, mm. live a good life. And if it is active, it's me messing around with my kids or anything. Or maybe I might go for a, a small 20-minute jog near the beach. I'm blessed to live that's you know, awesome. by the water. And um, that's what we do. But I, I, after moving from California, surfing was my cardio exercise. And I've had to like readjust some things because I can't. they don't have nearly as many waves here as they do. But when we do have waves, I'm in there for three hours. I mean, I'm surfing. So is that right? Yeah. And so that, that kind of gets me going and then I'm, I'm out of commission for a couple of days. Cause it's just so tiring. So, well, you said you're going on a surfing trip. You better yeah, we are, man. I got shape for it. Packed up. Yeah, man. I you know it was cool. When we went to Sean Young's place a couple of weeks ago. They had a swell come in Cocoa beach. So brought the vultures down there. We stayed on the beach, surfed all day with Sean, Spent the night in a hotel and then woke up, went to his place and had a pole vault meet and drove back, man. So it was like That's the best. Of so yeah, we're, we're heading back to Southern California this week to see our friends and the surf and spend some time. And, but yeah, man, I, you know, to answer your question too, you just got to find something. Don't just, that's to me, that was the hardest thing about making that transition out of pole vaulting. And like I, I said, I was a rescue scuba diver. So I was able to do that. And then I moved into strength conditioning, which, I couldn't be a fat strengthening, strengthening, getting, right. <laughs> right. I had to like stay in shape. So I would run with the guys and work out with the guys. I would practice what I preached. And it, it just, along the way, I was able to stay in shape because I was doing what I love to do in another realm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, for me personally, it's just, uh, you know, I, I love being active and doing all the different things. Uh, it, it's hard because a pole vaulting was like, this is, everything to me and like i'm 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 working really hard for this specific thing and now it's just like i'm working hard just for general fitness it's kind of like uh this is like kind of boring but i think the biggest the biggest thing is just that nutrition man that nutrition it's just like oh man it's so hard like especially if you, you get stressed out you know in my opinion, for me, you know, I just get stressed out and then I'm like, oh man, I just, I don't care. I'm too stressed. I just want to <laughs> eat this. I don't care what, it, what's going to happen, you know? And, and well, that's, you, uh, that's the hard thing. Me too, Jake, when I was competing though, I mean, we were dialed in nutrition wise. I mean, I was, I was at one time, probably too lean. I was 3% body fat into where I, I had to like try to eat more. And it was tough because mentally I'm like, I'm doing everything to be the best I can be. You know, and it was probably at some times I probably didn't, like I said, it was a hindrance to my pole vault. So I tell people it's balance. Mm -hmm. you know, 
everything's balanced. Just make sure you're balanced. You can go gung ho and be 110% into it, but make sure you have some days off. Make sure you go do something else because you're going to come back so recharged and refreshed. And I, I get it. I get that everyone wants to be the best they can be, but you will make leaps and bounds if you rest and get away from the pole vault pit for two days and do something else to where your mind's not into it and your body's doing something else to where when you come back to that Monday, Monday session, you're going to feel like a new, new person. Mm-hmm. That's the advice I give to young people all the time. I'm yeah. like, you out here seven days a week. Don't, Absolutely. don't lock yourself into your house. Go do stuff. But yeah. Easier said than done. But. Absolutely. Well, Russ, I can't thank you enough. I am so, I mean, we covered so much cool stuff and, uh, you have been, you know, ever since I saw you on the Neo vault and saw you on the, uh, you know, getting off the pit, having won that national championship in 2006, I've always been like, man, it'd be so cool to just sit down with that guy and, and talk with him. So I, uh, I can't thank you enough. Is there any, like anything else that you would want to say before we get off of here? Well, I want to thank you guys too. I mean, what you're doing just with the podcast, man. I mean, that's how I found you. I was like getting back in the pole vault world and I'm like, oh, there's pole vault podcasts and there wasn't many out there. And I started listening years last year, you know, when COVID hit, man. So, um, keep doing what you're doing, trying to get people on different age groups. I mean, I can come back and you can get older vaulters to come back, talk about the generation. I mean, I heard your dad's the other day. It was pretty cool. I was like, God, man, it's pretty neat to hear his perspective of things. And then uh-huh. you can listen to Sam's perspective of things. And I think it's great for vultures to know the history of the pole vault, especially here in America, where it's come and the important players in it. Um, but I would say for pole vaulters physically, work on your speed. Don't overtrain. Work gymnastics. Listen to your coaches. Continue to be open-minded and, and love what you're doing. You know, yeah. I, don't be closed-minded. You know, your athletes at your club, listen to what they're, they, they're giving you because all it takes is for you to hear one little cue, and that could be the, the difference of you becoming a great vaulter to an elite vaulter. One little cue. Absolutely. I would say to young vaulters, just be open-minded, keep working hard and nothing comes easy, but that's why we get addicted to pole vault because it's so darn hard. (laughs) You have something figured out, something happens. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, I don't know if there ever is a mastery level. Uh, I don't know if you'll ever master it, but that's, it's fun. The pursuit of mastery in the pole vault is, uh, is a blast. It's a good time. It's, uh, it's hard. It's fun it's makes you cry makes you laugh makes you smile all of those things uh wrapped up into one event and uh it's impacted your life my life and you know millions of other people's lives a whole lot so it's a pretty cool thing that we get to be a part of in my opinion well hopefully man i hope i can catch up with you guys and hopefully reno goes off and yeah absolutely i'd love to get out there and um, if anybody needs to reach out to me too man just ask questions i mean I want to get back to sport, man. You know, I have so many people help me out, you know, I'm very blessed with everything. And, you know, I get emotional when I talk about this side of it, but like, I, I can't, I had a friend ask me, why are you coaching at IMG? I'm like, man, because this is what I want to do. I'm, I'm at the first time in my life I'm able because of my wife's job and where we're at and our stage of life, spend time with my kids, number one and two coach pole vault, man. I like, I cannot believe I'm getting paid to coach pole vault now. And yeah. it's, passion is and so anybody wants to reach out to me they can it's uh russ r-u-s-s dot buller b-u-l-l-e-r at ing.com 
just reach out to me and, and I'm on Instagram at IMG pole vault. I just started that page because my athletes were like, you got to get on social media. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I want to do this. But as the year was winding down, I'm like, Oh, I got to start taking pictures. Cause I'm already, I already missed my group, man. You know, we got, we got close really fast and you know, IMG is a little different cause they go home for the summer. So I don't, I don't have them here now. And like everyone's in their club pole vaulting scene and I'm sitting here. Right. Thing. So uh, if anybody needs anything, any information, I mean, any speed training, weightlifting training, pole vault advice, I mean, just contact me, feel free. You're not going to bother me. Just give me a few days and I'll get back to you. But, and Jake, if you guys ever need anything, man, let me know if I can connect you with some people. Absolutely. Podcast, let me know, man. I think, I think you can go down the list, dude. You would have a full schedule for the whole year. I know. Right. Yeah. Wow. It's uh. there's so many, I, I have a list, a running list. I, I just added like more to it as we were talking today. <laughs> it's cause you bring up names and it's just uh, it's really, it's really uh, it's really, really fun. And if you're ever in Chicago, got to come through uh, cause we're, we're, we're uh, right, right. About 45 minutes South. What's that? <laughs> It'll be in the summertime. Yeah. Now in the winter. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All right, Russ. Thank you so much. Anything you guys need, just continue to do what you do, man. I appreciate everything. Appreciate it. Well, this is the One More Jump Podcast signing off.